Revelation 18, and we will have a bit of a review, but we'll go ahead and get started there. 18 verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. After these things, after what things? Well, you remember as we spoke last week, last chapter, we're talking about Babylon. And if you remember, we have expressed to you that Babylon is sort of a, the idea of Babylon is sort of a two-element uh, idea. And that is the one that we discussed last week, Babylon being that false religion that will be set up in the days of the Antichrist, in the second portion of that period of time known as the tribulation. The tribulation, that seven-year period where uh, God is literally going to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. You and I will not be here. Yes, you and I will be in heaven. We anxiously await the rapture. Now, this is not to be confused with the second coming of the Lord. That happens after, and we're going to be talking about that uh, at a later time. But we're looking forward to the rapture. That's that time when Jesus comes in the clouds to rescue his church from this planet. Because that seven-year period time clock begins at that moment. And that's when a lot of terrible things, as we have discussed, as we've gone through these chapters, specifically chapters 6 through 19, we're getting towards the end of that now, we've read about some pretty devastating things that happen not only to the planet itself, but also to mankind. Great, vast numbers of people lose their lives, either through godly catastrophic events that the Lord is pouring out upon the world, or by just the uh, religious system that was set up, will be killing many people as known as martyrs or the uh, tribulation saints that we discussed last week. So a lot of things are going on during those seven years down here on earth. You and I will not be here for that. You and I will have been raptured. You and I will have been rescued uh, by Jesus, taken to heaven, and we will be up there with him. By the time those seven years are over, we'll be like, what, we're going back already? It'll go like that, that seven years for us. But the seven years for the people who are left behind on this earth, it will quite literally be hell on earth for them, as we have discussed. So we're continuing through that era, that time, uh, in which now we're looking at Babylon. What is the deal with Babylon? Do you know, we mentioned two cities who are most mentioned in the Bible, Jerusalem and Babylon. And there's reasons for that as you go through and you study each account. But Babylon specific to our text last week and also tonight, uh, the religious system, the false religious system, as we learned last week, is set up. And it's Babylon, but that idea was personified as a harlot or a prostitute. And we talked about how 
graphic language that would be. Um, but that is the heart of God when, it, when he's talking about the people going after false gods and false religions. That's how the, he perceives that in his economy. That's how much, how painful it is for him to have seen he, even his own people go after false gods throughout the centuries. And so that is what it was likened to last week, the, the harlot, the prostitute, Babylon, that religious system. And we were told there in that chapter that she uh, was riding on top of the beast earlier in the chapter, the beast, of course, being the Antichrist. But later in the chapter, what we discussed was that the kings of the earth turned on the harlot, and so did the Antichrist. And we're going to see a, uh, a different view of that tonight, um, and we'll, we'll discuss that as we get into it. But the idea there was that the harlot was riding the Antichrist. In other words, that religious system uh, the Antichrist needed at first and utilized that power to eventually overcome and set up his own agenda. And once he does, the kings of the earth and he himself turn on her and throw her away. And that is exactly the idea of a prostitute, used, abused, and thrown away. And that is exactly what happened. But there's a, a twist tonight. We discussed the false religion element, and tonight we'll look at the other element, which is the economic or political element of Babylon. Now, I want you to pay close attention to, as we go through the chapter, pay attention to the language and description of Babylon, because not only do we have two uh, illustrative elements, the one we discussed, the false religion, and also the other element being the political slash economic view, but we'll discuss, is it a literal city that is being destroyed? So we'll take a look at that. Back to our text. John is seeing this angel coming down from heaven, and he had such great authority, but he illuminated the whole earth with his glory. What a sight that must have been. Now, these angels are so powerful, and we're going to get a better look at that. Uh, we'll discuss that more in detail Sunday when we go through chapter 19. But these angels are no joke. When it says God, the God of heaven's armies, that, let me tell you, is extreme power. That is powerful. And it's said through the Old Testament prophets would use that God of heaven, God of heaven's armies. It's a great illustration. Can't wait to discuss that with you Sunday. But be that as it may, verse 2, chapter 18, and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. We've, we've seen that passage before, that phrase that says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And the title of tonight's message is Babylon is fallen again. Because we discussed that being, you're like, well, 17, I thought we already talked about that. It was fallen last week. Yes, it's fallen again. And that's why it says that is fallen is fallen. 
speaking of the two uh, elements that we have discussed before, the two illustrative elements. But also, too, Jeremiah was saying the exact same thing before the first time the literal city of Babylon fell. If you turn back with me to Jeremiah chapter 51, let's go there and we'll take a peek. Jeremiah chapter 51 Jeremiah 51, and let's start in verse 8. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go, everyone, to his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Turn a couple pages over and we'll go to verse 44 and finish this out. I will punish Bel in Babylon. Bel was a false god in Babylon that they worshipped. And I will bring out of his mouth what he has swallowed. And the nation shall not stream to him anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon will fail. That idea of what we just read, that text, will be eerily familiar to you as we read the language in tonight's chapter. So kind of tuck that away and keep that in mind. Verse 3, back in Revelation 18, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Indeed, we just kind of read that exact same thing, didn't we? The last chapter or the last reference in Jeremiah said that her judgments raised to heaven. It says here her sins have reached to heaven. Notice the contrast here. John first hears from an angel. An angel came down from heaven. But notice here we see he just heard another voice from heaven. And what did that voice say? It says, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Who's being spoken about? God says, come out of her, my people. He is speaking to the tribulation saints. Do you know that it's very important for us to know this, that during the tribulation, after we have been raptured out of here, there will be those who are left behind, and there will be those people who come to know Christ as their Savior during that time. They're known as the tribulation saints. And this voice here in this verse is saying, come out of her, my people. That's what God's saying. Come out of her, lest you take part in her sin. Get away from her, because she is about to be destroyed. Come out from her 
lest you receive her plague. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. Her sins are remembered. Yours aren't. Did you know that? That's the grace of God. Your sins have been forgotten. How do I know? Well, turn back with me. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that cool? You know, there's that thing where, well, God can do anything except remember. What do you mean? He will not remember your sin that has been confessed. You and I came to that point in our lives where we realize we're a sinner, we need a Savior, we realize Jesus is Him, and we confessed our sin. And we understood and believed and accepted that work on the cross that He did for us. Guess what? Instantly, you're saved. Your sin's gone, forgotten, blotted out. He says it right here. I will not remember your sins. And that's why He's saying, come out, my people. Come away from this place. Come out of her lest you take part in her sins, because yours I've forgotten. You're mine now, and I want to keep it that way. But hers, I remember. I remember. Back to our text. And there's going to be a double portion. Whatever harm she brought on people, it'll be double for her. Whatever pain she gave and the killings that she commits to the martyrs and to these ones that the Antichrist will be hunting down, these tribulation saints. All of that will be double for her. Verse 7, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Oh, there's that, that spirit that we saw even with Nebuchadnezzar, remember? Same place, Babylon, one of the ancient seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens, and he goes out and goes, look what I have created. Look what I have built. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Look at it. And you guys remember what happened. He got a little piece of humble pie that lasted about, that's interesting, seven years. Remember he was sent out and he had to eat grass uh, and he, his, his nails grew like, like talons and his hair grew and looked like feathers. And he was just, he went insane until he realized that, oh, wow, there is a God out there and I'm not him. He got humbled. Some believe we may see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of that. But before that, oh, look at me. Look what I have created. 
And that same attitude and that same spirit we're seeing right here. I am queen. I will never see sorrow. I will never see pain. I will never be a widow. No widow, nor sorrow. Really? Well, that's a dangerous idea to have in your mind because judgment is coming. Verse 8. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. In one day, her destruction will come. Not long ago, I told you about the righteousness of God. And we have been seeing this all through this book. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your judgments are perfect. Because as we've been going through these chapters, they've been pretty brutal, some of them. Speaking about that period of time known as the tribulation. And the question could be asked, wow, God, so harsh, so much death, catastrophic. But what have the angels proclaimed? Righteous are your judgments, and perfect are your judgments. The wheels of justice for the Lord turn very slow. And it's in an effort to, sometimes he holds off judgments for centuries. But when that time comes, when the Lord says, okay, it's time, Judgments happens very quick. And what does it say here? Within an hour. An hour. It's demolished. Everything is destroyed. Excuse me. In one day. Death and mourning and famine. And she will utterly be burned with fire. There will be no second chance. There will, no, there will be no time for... Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The idea here is that you had your chance. In fact, you had many of them. And now it's time for judgment. And in one day, it'll be destroyed. Check out verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, what? That's not what happened last chapter. What did the kings of the earth do last chapter? Well, let's go back and look. Let's go back to chapter 17. Verse 16, And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Okay, so that's interesting because we jump over to the verse we just read, and the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxurious with her will weep and lament. So in one chapter, you're hating her and burning her flesh and eating it, and the next chapter, oh, they see the torment and they see the destruction and they lament. And they cry out, what's the deal? Remember the two separate elements. 
See, the religious part of it, they're done with that. The kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth, they, they don't care about that anymore. The religion, get rid of it. It had its purpose, its time, now done with that, throw it out. But you know what they love is the economic luxuries that they get from the economy that will be flowing. So much money, so much prosperity, they fall in love with the economic portion of Babylon. Because it says here they've committed fornication. In other words, they've all been involved in this whole idea of the economic system that will bring great prosperity. And they will be used to living with the luxuries that that all uh, came with it. But now with the destruction, oh, they weep and lament over her. Yeah, very interesting. Verse 10, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Again, judgment moves quick when it's time. Chance after chance after chance, week after year after decade after century, the Lord is very patient. He's extremely patient. He's very long-suffering. What does that mean? It means to suffer long. And we're to be long-suffering. Did you know that? With each other. Be long-suffering. What do you mean? Oh, that person that just gets on your nerves. You just want to lose it. And you're like, nope. We're to be ones that die to ourselves die to our flesh, and be long-suffering, and in turn, show the love of Christ through that long-suffering and that patience, not to bring judgment and lay hands suddenly on the ones that get under our skin. We're to be long-suffering. Why? Because Jesus was long-suffering with you, wasn't he? Remember your life before the Lord? Remember what you were involved in and how you thought and the way you acted, but the Lord was long-suffering with you, and he was with me. And then because of his grace and mercy, not because of us, because there is none righteous, no, not one, it was because of his grace and mercy that we even had the thought and idea that, you know what, yeah, I am a sinner, and I do need a Savior, and I think Jesus, yeah, he's the one because of what he did on the cross, and, and we believe that, and he came into our heart, and, and our walk's never been the same. Our lives have never been the same, and we rejoice. We look back and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being long-suffering for me. Now, please teach me to be long-suffering with others. But when it's time, it's time, and when the judgment's coming, it's a coming, and it comes very quickly. This place is destroyed in one day. Everything that has been built up and worked up is gone. Judgment has come. Verse 11, watch this, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. They've made a lot of money. They become very wealthy in this new economic system of finance and, and selling of goods. And the merchants, oh, they have made their money. 
Well, now that's all over. In one hour, it's gone, vanished, desolate. And they mourn. Oh, who's going to buy? We can't. Who's going to sell? We can't sell. We can't buy. It's over. What are they selling? Well, verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver. Pay attention to these items. Let's go through them. Precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men, or in other words, slaves even. All of that merchandise, merchants were able to sell and get their hands on the finest gold and the finest silver and precious stones and then take them, it seems, to Babylon to sell and make a lot of money. But as we read down that list of items, are any of them necessary for life? No. You can live without all of that. In other words, they're all luxuries. It's, those are things that come about with people with influence and money. So the economic system is just roaring with benefits and money and opportunity. That's why it's so painful when they see the destruction and they see it gone within an hour. Look what we built, and it's gone. All of those items, all of those things, the things that men craved and fell in love with and desired. Verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. And the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster... All who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? Interesting. I find it interesting that the merchants of the sea, the shipmasters, the sailors, are mentioned. Because how do you get commodities to and from? How do we do that on our planet today? cargo ships and there's a lot of money to be made there and we found out what happens when you interrupt that whole process didn't we during the pandemic we saw the ports of entry how 
off of Long Beach, there was hundreds of cargo ships that had made it to our shores but couldn't come in because of the stringent uh, COVID-19 regulations and the lockdowns and everything. We, they, they, no one came to work, so you didn't have shipyard workers to unload, very few. So, you know, you have these ships out there for weeks, if not months, anchored out with all of your TVs and all of your cameras and all of your commodities, stuff you had on order. Remember, it was before Christmas, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, are we going to get the gifts on time? You know, I got Air AirPods coming, and I got this, and I got that, and it's sitting on that ship off of Long Beach. You know, what's the deal? And the same thing was happening on the East Coast over uh, off the coast of New York in those ports. But Ron DeSantis, he's like, hey, come on down to Florida. We're open. Come on down. We'll get you taken care of. Got to love that guy. But, you know, it's just interesting. There's a lot of money to be made, and there's a lot of money to, for you and I to spend. Because what was the end result? Empty shelves. Remember that? Go to the store, and you're like, um, where is everything? Oh, that's right. It's on a ship <laughs> waiting. See, these merchants on the, sh the, the, the merchants of the sea, the sailors, these shipyard guys, they're going to be seeing the same thing. They have stuff like, oh, how am I going to, I can't get offload my ship. The merchants are upset. The sailors are upset. Everyone's upset. Why? Because everyone in the world globally is going to be involved in this economic thing called Babylon. It doesn't matter what nation doesn't matter what world leader, it doesn't matter. It's gonna be centralized from there. And some believe, remember we've talked about the Antichrist, how he will come from uh, the land of seven hills, Rome, revive Roman Empire. And Europe will be revived and you'll have 10 nations that will come up with the Antichrist and they will give their power over to him. And he will take charge. But some even believe that he may move his rule from Rome to Babylon, perhaps. The language that we're seeing in this chapter, up until this chapter, they have been illustrative. What do you mean? Well, I mean it's been uh, illustrative, Babylon, the false religion portion. And then tonight, we're looking at the economic slash political element. But the language that we're seeing, we're seeing language telling us that these People, merchants, sailors, they stood from far off while the city was being destroyed. It's indicating to us that perhaps it's an actual place. Well, it was. It was destroyed by Alexander the Great, and he conquered it. And after that part of history, it became desolate, trodden on. Again, what does it say back there in verse 2? It has fallen, it's fallen, and has become dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean bird. Yeah, just full of lizards, buzzards, you know? It's just desolate out there. Was. I'll read you something interesting I found about Babylon in a moment. But the idea here, the language that we're seeing is that this is a literal place getting destroyed. Yes, the idea and spirit of Babylon behind Babylon is very evil and very wicked. 
Where does it originate? Well, what originally happened? We get the Tower of Babel from Babylon, that area. What was the idea there? Oh, we will rise. We will come together and we will make our way to heaven. And they built that tower or that ziggurat in an effort to study the stars and astrology and elevate themselves to heaven. We don't need, we can do this ourselves. And that was pride. Man's pride had them do that. And it got to a point where God said, okay, let me show you who's in charge. And I will change all your languages. And you're going to ask for bricks. And that guy's going to think you're ordering a burrito. And you're not going to see eye to eye anymore. And you're going to wander around looking for people you can understand. And then you finally find them. Hey, do you understand me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I understand you. What's going on? I don't know, but let's go this way. And that's what God did. He dispersed them. And that's how he got rid of that spirit. But that spirit is still alive. And we're seeing that in our world today. Let's come together. We don't need borders anymore. We don't need fences and walls. No, let's destroy all that. We're going to come together as one. And we have a false religion called climate control. And I'm going to make you drive a battery-operated car. And I'm going to make you lawn guys have battery-operated lawnmowers. And it'll take you three days to mow one lawn because you've got to charge your batteries all the time. I guess it's good for reoccurring business. I don't know. I'd rather just get done with the thing and move on. But do you think because they're going to make your life harder, they're going to start flying in their Learjets? Come on, guys, we got Zoom. So if you need to have a meeting in Paris, jump on there like all of us. You don't have to use a Learjet. No, they won't. They will do exactly what they want to do, but you and I or should I say the world will be under complete and total control. We've been talking about the currency, how that's gonna change, CBDC, uh, the central bank digital currency. We've been talking about a war on cash, how if they control your money digitally, they can turn it off like that. That's how they'll control these. These people during this time frame will have unbelievable oppression. Not just the Christian, by the way, non-saved too. But they'll jump in line and they'll get in order and they'll, they'll get the mark of the beast and they'll, they'll do everything they need to do to just obey. Because the consequences for not obeying are going to be drastic. It won't be, oh, okay, you'll lose your job. Like when you didn't get the vaccine shot for during the COVID. It won't be that. It'll be like, oh, you want to eat? Okay, take the mark of the beast and we'll turn your money back on. That's what's coming, and we're seeing those foundations right now. By the way, update, we've been talking to you about the, uh, I've actually, I, I mislabeled it in weeks prior. I called it Senate Bill 1193. It's actually House Bill 1193. Uh, the one that talks about CBDC, central bank digital currency, uh, and the, the, basically the idea in that bill was to make cryptocurrency not money. In other words, you guys who have crypto and Bitcoin, gone, worthless. Um, but it also is setting the foundation for the central bank digital currency, meaning that your money, your cash, worthless. They'll give you an account number, you'll log in, and you'll have your digital currency. And they'll give you a buck 25 for every dollar you have. And everyone will go, cool, I made money. 
and everyone will log in, and they'll have their digital currency. But as time goes on, that value will decrease to a point, and what are you going to do about it? Nothing. And that's the idea. These things are actually that passed in South Dakota. Thankfully, Christy Nome, the governor, vetoed it. And then I've been telling you about Veto Day, where it goes back to the House four weeks later to see if it held up. It did. Amen. It did. So it was like, praise the Lord. And so, yes, they're pushing it, and other states will see what happens. They're going to try it in every state. But she led the charge, so God bless Christy Nome. But these are things that are going to happen. These are things that will happen. You have to have control of the populace if you want to have control over the world, and the Antichrist will have control over the world. Now, we know who's really in control, because God's about to unleash some fury on this place called Babylon. I think we left off in verse 17. Back to our text. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, yes, we talked about that. Verse 18. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? Such a great city. It's, it's going to be astounding to them when they see this devastation. And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich and by her wealth for in one hour she is made desolate rejoice over her O heaven and you holy apostles and prophets for God has avenged you on her then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. It seems clear in this language that we're talking about a literal city of destruction. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, I think they're called flautists, right? Flautists, I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Bible. He's his flutist. And trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. Ooh. Interesting. And then in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Blood of saints filling the streets, the gutters. Do you think she cared? No. Why? Because all it was about was money and wealth and luxuries and this whole economic process that's in place, the sailors and the merchant ships making money, the merchants themselves making money, Babylon making money, the kings of the earth making money, just and just over and over again, while saints are being hunted down and slain and martyred and killed. 
and the blood is in their streets. That was okay to, to her. This place, Babylon, we've talked about it, about it illustratively, but what's going on now? Is there a place called Babylon now? There used to be. It's got great, rich history. One time was one of the wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens. was so beautiful that we talked about earlier. Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with himself. Look at what I've built. And in those days, I'm sure it was magnificent. But it turned into a place of desolation, just as Jeremiah prophesied that it would. And Alexander the Great did that. And after that, nothing happened there. Oh, until recently. I have an article here. I love to bring these articles because they're so cool. Remember we've talked about articles that line up with scripture in the Bible? This is from the Jerusalem Post. And this article is written by a guy named Joel C. Rosenberg. You might know his name. I think he wrote the book Epicenter. But he wrote this article in the Jerusalem Post, uh, February 16th of 2022. So this article is just a little bit over a year old. The title is, Is Babylon Once Again Rising from the Ashes? Ooh, let's find out. You know, I wanted to highlight just a couple of parts to this, just for some emphasis and to bring up some good points. The more I read, I'm thinking, I'm highlighting this whole thing. You know, I could read these eight pages to you. I won't. But the idea is this. Babylon is a place that is going to be rebuilt. In 2006, this is uh, Joel writing this, I wrote the first nonfiction book, Epicenter, in which I explained that according to the Bible prophecy, the ancient and long-forgotten city of Babylon will one day be literally rebuilt. I also explained that the once-so-powerful nation of Babylon the country which we now call Iraq, will one day rise to become the most wealthy and powerful nation in the world, according to Old and New Testament prophets and apostles. Few believed me at the time, fewer still cared. But things are changing, and it's time for an update. He goes through here and tells us some fascinating things. Slowly but surely, we are seeing the Bible prophecies regarding Babylon come to pass. True, neither the city nor the country is what they uh, will be one day. Nevertheless, top Iraqi fish officials are determined to rebuild both. Even though as Muslims, they don't believe in the Bible or know much about the prophecies it contains. Now, isn't that cool? These Muslims are going to rebuild this city and it's all falling into God's plan. They don't even believe in him, and they don't believe what he says, and they don't believe in God's word, but they're going to do what he says. <laughs> I love it. Now, time has been not too good with Iraq throughout the decades, and he even says here, cynics certainly seemed to have the upper hand. War, terrorist insurgencies, ISIS-led genocides, crumbling infrastructure, high poverty, and these are just a few of the nation's myriad of troubles. If this wasn't bad enough, record low oil prices, $20 a barrel in 2020. But he says here, change is in the wind. With 148 billion barrels of proven oil reserves, Iraq is now the fifth largest producer of oil 
in the world. And it says here it's skyrocketing, skyrocketing hitting $90 a barrel. Now remember, this is a year ago. So it's probably much higher than that now. I'm not sure. I haven't checked current uh, prices, but I'm sure it's higher. And Iraq will become vastly more attractive for investors and even uh, tourists. Hey, guys, Disneyland or Iraq? <laughs> um, let's go to Iraq. <laughs> Who would want to go there now? But there, <laughs> yeah, right? We may raid some. ATVs over in the dunes. Um, they are wanting, this is going to happen, you guys. Have you seen pictures of uh, Dubai? Oh, man, they take such pride in their skyscrapers, and it's incredible. They have cities they literally built in the water. They took sand, and they, they built. It's like, we need more property. All right, well, I guess let's make it. So they did, and they built a bunch of sand in the water, and they compacted it down. Who builds a, sa a, a house on shifting sand? Um, the Saudi Arabians <laughs> and uh, in UAE and Dubai. And they did, and they got these cities, and they're flourishing, and um, watched a whole documentary on that. It's amazing the wealth that is being generated from that city. You look at that city, and you're blown away. I was there in 93, and it wasn't what it is now. I'll tell you that right now. It was interesting, but... They didn't have what they have now. It's an uncalculable amount of wealth. That will one day be Iraq, is what we're reading here. Now, Iraqi officials are hoping to get back to the uh, ambitious um, construction investment plans uh, they were hoping to pursue soon after the country was liberated for, um, from Saddam Hussein in the spring of 2003. And rebuilding Babylon is one of their most intriguing priorities. Will Babylon really rise again? Back in the 70s and 80s, however, Saddam Hussein ordered its arche uh, archaeologists, engineers, to begin excavating and rebuilding the city, uh, once home to the much-feared King Nebuchadnezzar, who took over most of the known world in his day, conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the nation of Judah, and enslaved a vast majority of Jews in the world at the same time. Of course Saddam Hussein would idolize those ideologies. Hey, let's bring back that spirit. On April 18th, 2006, New York Times reported, and he gives us a timeline here, so this is going back to 06. New York Times reported in the front page story that Babylon, the mud brick city with a million dollar name, has paid the price for, of war. It has be, been ransacked, looted, torn up, paved over, neglected, remember? Demons, buzzards, lizards, right, all that just like verse 2 told us, and it's been neglected. But Iraqi leaders and United Nations, kings of the earth, interesting, officials are not giving up on it. They're working assiduously to restore Babylon, home of one of the seven wonders of the world, and turn it into a cultural center, possibly even an Iraqi theme park. Come ride the Babylonian stallions. I don't know. Whatever. The United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization is pumping millions of dollars into protecting and restoring Babylon and a handful of other ancient ruins in Iraq. Noted correspondent Jeffrey Gettleman, the, U, uh, the UNESCO, it's an acronym for that, has even printed up a snazzy brochure with Babylon listed as the premier destination 
to hand out to wealthy donors. Ooh, we need rich people and kings of the earth and nations to come together. Do you see what's happening here? They're coming together. One day, millions of people will visit Babylon, said Donnie George, head of Iraqi's Board of Antiquities. I'm just not sure anybody knows when. You say, man, I don't want any part of this, this rebuild. Why are you telling us this? Because I don't want any part of rebuilding such an evil place. If that's what Revelation's telling us, I don't want any part of it. Okay. April 2009, the Obama administration is contributing $700,000 towards the future of the Babylon Project through the State Department's budget. That was your tax dollar. I don't want any part of it. Well, thank you for the 700 grand. You are part of it. Did you remember voting on that? Did that come across the ballot? Did you see that in the mail or in your email? Hey, if you're good with rebuilding Babylon, check this box. No, we weren't asked, but they're doing it, and they did it. All people will be involved in this Babylon, this economic system, whether you like it or not. Your tax dollar went to it. In January 2011, New York Times about Iraq's latest efforts to preserve, protect, restore, and rebuild the ancient city of Babylon and make it draw for tourists with U.S. taxpayer assistance. You're welcome. Finally, by July 2019, so much progress has been made that, the, that Babylon was a UNESCO World Heritage Site. The goal to relaunch art, culture, and even the economy of Iraq by making Babylon a showcase of the new Iraq, a must-see tourist attraction for visitors from all over the world, said one participant. February 2021, but some local investors believe in the promise of domestic tourism in places like this that have long been undervisited. It's talking about how in 09 there was some issues, but they believe in it is the idea. What do you believe about the future of Babylon? So should we believe the Hebrew prophets such as Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, that Babylon will really rise again in the last days? The author says, I say yes. How about you? Wow. Sounds to me like it's a literal place and that it's coming back to life. And it sounds to me like the rulers of the world, the United Nations, is all about this endeavor. And it sounds to me like a lot of people, kings of the earth, and all of us somehow are involved already. Now, the good news is we're out of here soon. So whatever happens after that, well, that happens and we can read the rest for ourselves. But I'll close with this, and that is all through the book of Revelation, what we're experiencing is this, and this is true even for our text tonight with Babylon, is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Let's look at a couple of verses, and then we're going to close it tonight. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 with me, if you would. And this is an important thing for you and I to understand and know this as well. This is our takeaway. Galatians chapter 6. You've read it many times. Let's read it again. Verse 7. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And finally, I want you to see something that I was really blown away by tonight. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, last verse, and we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now with that verse in mind, what we just read, watch this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What do you mean? If you reap or if you sow sparingly to the flesh, you reap sparingly. And if you, if you sow bountifully in the spirit and in God's word and in prayer and in fellowship, oh, you reap bountifully. But the opposite is true as well. Babylon sowed bountifully to the flesh and to the things of this world and the luxuries. And boy, does Babylon reap bountifully with the destruction that comes upon her. The reason why I bring that up to you is I think it's important for even you and I today. May we sparingly sow to the flesh. We're sinners. Now, all that sin is forgotten. We've read that tonight. God took our sin and cast it into the sea behind him of forgetfulness, never to be seen again. Even sins you have never sinned yet are already forgotten and gone. That's the power of the cross. You are saved and you are forgiven. It's glorious. But we are sinners and we do have that flesh tendency, do we not? But we don't sow bountifully to it. No, it's sparingly. And when we do, ah, no, Lord, forgive me, ah, wash it away. And we will reap sparingly from that. Because our heart's desire is to sow bountifully to what? The Spirit, yes, amen. The Spirit and the things of the Lord. We sow bountifully, we, we invest into God's word and into prayer and into building one another up and being here in fellowship and in church and faithful to the Lord, we sow bountifully that, oh, we reap bountifully. And that's my prayer for all of us here tonight, for you, for me. May we be ones that we sow bountifully to the Spirit. And to that same measure will be that same measure we sow back. Amen?